Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And I'm on the And there it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, and thank you for the way that it, it shapes our minds and our hearts. Um, would you just help us, Lord, today um, comprehend and understand uh, what it is that your word says, um, and then comprehend and understand and obey um, what it calls us to do. Uh, may we understand your word um, as our authority, uh, because this word um, is the word that you have spoken Um, by your spirit. And Lord, we just submit ourselves to it today. Uh, Lord, wherever it is that we we feel the tension and feel even even our own lives contradicted by this word, would we align our lives with this word um, and and strive um, to be obedient? But Lord, may we ultimately um, just understand and cherish and behold the gospel today. Um, that though we are disobedient and though we are unfaithful um, and though we, we do fail in, in being obedient and living up to, to this book, um, Lord, it is the righteousness of Jesus um, that, that secures us, that saves us, uh, and, and where our hope ultimately lies. And so, um, Lord, thank you for this time. And I just pray that as your people, uh, we would be formed by it today. Um, teach us, Lord, what we need to know um, and make us what we need to become We pray these things um, in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Hey, stay standing and just say hello to someone around you, if you would. Just turn around, wave, shake a hand, give a hug. All right. Hey, thanks for taking time to greet. Thanks for taking time to greet one another uh, this morning. Um, As we do each week, what we we recommend um, is if you have a Bible, 
you follow along um, in that book. <clears throat> if, you, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Um, and the cool thing about those Bibles and the copy of the Bible that I have is the pages align. The pages are, are the same pages. And so we're on page 911 this morning. Um, if you're using one of those books, uh, one of those copies of Bibles in the seat in front of you. Um, and, and so we're going to jump in this morning to Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. And today, uh, really in particular, um, is just a, a great time for us to just walk through the text, walk through the passage, um, see what it is that marked the early church, that marked this specific community as a redemptive community. Last week, we, we looked at um, four underlying consistent um, characteristics um, that marked what the early church was and what kind of set them apart as a redemptive community. Namely, we looked at four things, um, that they were a committed emboldened, prayerful, kingdom-minded people. They were committed to the Great Commission. They were emboldened by the resurrection. They were prayerful out of an utter reliance on the Holy Spirit of God, and they were kingdom-minded, and really kind of what we framed around that and what we didn't have time to really frame around it, they were kingdom-minded in that they didn't count their losses, they didn't count their personal rights or privilege as an impediment to what the Lord, what the Spirit was calling them to do. They laid down things over and over again that, that, that naturally we would, a lot of us would say, these are my rights, these are my things. What they would do is they would lay these things down and they would not impede on what the Lord was calling them to do. Some of them even giving their very lives. And so they were kingdom-minded people. And so it was these things that were built upon the foundation of Christ and his perfect grace. Remember, they weren't just committed, emboldened, prayerful, kingdom-minded people because they felt like it. They were this kind of people uh, because they had experienced and they had witnessed the perfect grace of Jesus Christ. It was a person. The gospel is a person. Uh, the good news is a person. Grace is a person. And it's not just an idea. Um, it's, a, it's a person. It is something real and tangible that has effect on our lives today, and it shaped everything that they did. And so in today's text, in 41 through 47, typically we, we kind of we mark uh, this text as 42 through 47, but I think it's really important that we actually start in verse 41. And so in this text, we get an explanation of what they did and how they interacted as a body of believers in the world. And so if last week was more of like a, a who they were, these things marked who they were, this week is more of, of, of what they did. So what did they do in light of who they were? What was the result? What was the natural effect of the gospel in these people's life? What naturally flowed from these people that God was forming for himself to show his glory in all of the world? And so what we, where we would fail is if we did just start in 42. Um, and we didn't look at what, where these people were birthed from in verse 41. And so we would, again, we would fail if we didn't see that even before 42 through 47, um, that even before that explains their behaviors, these people and their behaviors were who they were born out of the gospel being preached and proclaimed. They, they didn't just appear out of thin air. You know where they appeared out of? They appeared out of a proclamation of the gospel. So if you read Acts chapter two, you see Peter who just 
months probably and years before was a, was a, was a stuttering, um, imperfect disciple of Jesus, denied Jesus, and now you see him uh, on, the, on the day that the church was born proclaiming the gospel and seeing 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And so these people didn't appear out of thin air. Uh, they, they weren't just, a, they weren't, there wasn't some magic show, like, like uh, it wasn't just some abracadabra moment in the church. It was a moment that was birthed out of the gospel being preached. And so these people, the church, were born out of the proclamation of the gospel by Peter and the Holy Spirit awakening their hearts. And look at this, their obedience and their identification with Jesus in baptism. You see that in verse 41, and in verse 41, you see the church begins by these people trusting in Jesus and following Jesus in baptism, because remember, they were committed to the Great Commission. They, they were being baptized. And so it says, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And so in its truest form, I just want us to get this. I know it sounds like cliche and shallow, but it's not. I just want you to hear it in its truest form. These were a gospel people. They were born out of the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news about Jesus, his life, his death, his, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. These people were witnesses to that. And so these were a gospel people. And so the question that we answer today is what fruit did the gospel produce in the early church? And not only that, but what is it that we should be about as a people today? And so we're gonna see in today's text how this text answers and, 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 and describes what was going on in the early church that I think, um, I, I can't look through this list and see anything that we should not be doing. I can't look through this list and say, well, we should be doing that, but we shouldn't be doing this. Um, and so I want us to look into this text. And so the first thing that we see in verse 42 is this. I've got some really profound points today. These are super profound. They're actually just right here in the text. Verse 42, my first point is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's point one. That's what the early church did. They devoted themselves to teaching. So as we've already stated, everything that the early church was, was predicated upon and built upon the gospel and its proclamation, not their ideas, not their opinions, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus came to save sinners, that he gave his life, that he was buried, he resurrected, he did not stay dead, but he was alive and they witnessed that. And so these people were built upon the gospel. They were a, what we've already mentioned today, a word-centered, they were a word-built, word-driven people. They were built by the word of God. They were built by the gospel. They submitted themselves to the word. And the word is even today. Hey, Grace Harbor, the word today is what distinguishes us from every other kind of community. And so in a minute, we're gonna talk about the importance of community because on, on one hand, we need to be reminded and even convinced and reminded over and over again the importance of community with one another, fellowship with one another, but on the other hand, there's, there's probably not a single person in here. There's probably not a single person in this room today or a single person that you'll even meet outside of the church that, that doesn't value community. We've got communities built around sports. We've got communities built around corgis and golden doodles and coffee and books, like name it. Uh, we've, got coffee, we've, got, we've got groups built around uh, different kinds of cultures. So everyone believes 
in the value of community, of connection. And so we're gonna talk about that, but what we're trying to draw on from this passage, from this verse right here in 42, is that this community is built upon one thing, Christ and his word. You cannot distinguish that. You cannot separate God's word from God's people. They are a word-driven, word-built, word-centered people. And so whenever we begin, church, this is so important. I've, I've, I've recently gotten to audiobooks, and I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to mention the book that I've been listening to, but, but, but one of the, the things that it begins to do is it calls into question just the authority of Scripture. And that is a, that, that's not just this book, by the way. Uh, we've talked about the way that we're being formed by so many different things, like social media. If you're on social media for very long, you are going to begin to find things that call into question the authority of God's word. And, and it's gonna connect someone's submission to the authority of God's word to all sorts of other things that are just like, no, there's not an explicit connection between that and a, and a submission to the authority of God's word. And so whenever we begin to question the 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 impact that the word has on shaping us as a people or our call to even sit under faithful teaching. This is an easy thing for me to talk about, right? Because I get to be the one that teaches a lot. But even when we begin to question, is that important? Is that significant? Should the church do that? Shouldn't we just like hang out and talk about like things that are going on in our culture? No, that's not all we should do. Primarily, what we should be is a people of the word. And so when we begin to question that, or we begin to, when we begin to slide from thinking that maybe this isn't the most important thing, we need only to let the word counsel us in that. We need only to let the word counsel us in that. Church family, we simply, we cannot get where we need to be as disciples of Jesus apart from the word. Can't be there. Like if you're, if you're trying to grow in the spirit, you know, like we got a lot of people that like, hey, they're, they're asking, hey, what does it look like to be a, a spirit-filled person? Like, I, I love that. I, I want that. Can I just tell you the place to start is the word. It's a convergence of truth. It's a convergence of spirit. And both of those things, you can't have one without the other. And so we're gonna be a spirit-filled people in as much as we are a word-filled word-driven people. And so that's what these, this early church did. Secondly, my second profound point, still in verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Verse 42 um, says, and they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then in 44, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. These these people, this early church experienced and they exercised a special, I believe just a special dose of grace in that they shared their lives together. Like, hey, can I just tell you, like the gospel is, the gospel is something like concrete. Like it's the good news about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you that there's all sorts of ways to experience the goodness of the gospel? I just tell you, there's all sorts of ways to, to experience and, and taste what the gospel has accomplished in our lives. One of those things is fellowship, amen? Some of you are like, absolutely not. Like, I'd rather just like tuck away in my house and you just leave me alone for a little bit. But at some point, you are created and you are wired for relationships and fellowship with other people. And I, I know that I've experienced that in my life. And so they experienced a a peculiar kind of gospel grace in their fellowship with one another. But, but foundational to their fellowship, we said, was the gospel. 
is the gospel, but they had an identity and they didn't question what it was. In fact, um, I'm gonna read from Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. And I think this is a, a very important text on our identity as a people. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. Listen to this. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. They had an identity and they did not question what their identity was. Their identity was in their union with Jesus. That's it. There was nothing else that identified these people. They weren't identified by their political persuasion. They weren't identified by their hobbies. They weren't identified by this or by that. They were identified by their union with Jesus. Wow, I have been united with Jesus in his death because they were baptized people. I've been united with Jesus in his death. I've been united Jesus in his burial. I've been united with Jesus in his resurrection. I'm living for him. So in a culture, Grace Harbor, in a, in a culture that pushes us constantly to question what our identity and what our purpose is, be reminded that your identity rests in your union with Jesus, okay? Hey, stay-at-home moms, hey, working dads, stay-at-home dads. I mean, maybe we've got all sorts of different kinds of people. Your identity is not in how well you do whatever it is that you're doing, which do that well, absolutely do that well, but your identity is in nothing more and in nothing less in your union with Christ. And this is also the case for our community. This isn't just the case for you individually. This is the case for us corporately. What is it that we share together? What is it that when we come together, we share in our fellowship and in our community? What we share is our union with Christ. And being united with Christ, guess what? We're united with one another. So we are united with Jesus. And so this community and this fellowship was literally, again, birthed out of the gospel. There's a, a list of things that make community difficult, right? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We're not gonna glamorize community. We're not gonna glamorize that. We're not gonna say that politics and hobbies and those kinds of things don't have some sort of effect on our community. Yes, they absolutely do. And, and I would say that's an unfortunate thing, but it's real. It's, it's, it's legitimate. It's something that, that we're not, we're not gonna say like, oh, well, just, just put that to the side. It's something that we should put to the side, but it's something that, that absolutely does affect us. And so, hey, we've got to address that. We've got to address the reality and the presence of challenges and brokenness within community, don't we? We're not gonna do that this week. We're gonna do that next week. But this isn't an idea of community that we're talking about. When we talk about this fellowship, it's not some ideal. It's not some th theory that these people were committed to. When it says that they devoted it, they devoted themselves to fellowship. You know what the word devoted kind of makes me think of? Hard work, hard work. These people were devoted to teaching. Hey, sometimes I know it's not easy to listen to me talk. Sometimes I know it's not easy to show up in community groups. Sometimes I know it's not easy to get around other broken people. Like, man, that's, that's so hard, but this isn't an idea. This isn't a theory of community that these people were committed to. This, is, this was real community. These were real people. And so we have to ask ourselves. We've got to ask 
ourselves in, in our faithfulness to Jesus and his word, do we love the idea of community? Yes, all of us love the idea of it, right? Man, if I could just get in a place where everybody thinks and acts and looks like me, that's gonna be amazing. But do you love the idea of community or do you love actual community? Because what actual community says is, hey, even though we look different and we think different and we, we, we sound different and all of these things, our ultimate identity is our union with Jesus. And that's all that is. And so, hey, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we're gonna talk a lot about Bonhoeffer next week. He has a short book called Life Together. And I mean, if, if you want to be like punched in the face, left, left hook, right hook, whatever, you know, like this is the book, read it. But, but in it, Bonhoeffer's gonna just talk about like your dream of community. Hey, some of, some of you are like on the prowl and on the hunt right now for your perfect community. And that's, that's the case for a lot of church people. They're, they're looking for their, their perfect kind of community, one where no one's broken and everybody else is perfect. And, and, and hey, I have, I have this too. Like I, I, have these, what, I have these pipe dreams of community as Bonhoeffer calls it, but Bonhoeffer says God hates it. God hates visionary dreaming. God hates your vision of community because what happens when you, you have this ideal of community, what you do is you mess up what God's doing there. You, you, you mess it up. And what Bonhoeffer says, I, I'm, I'm preaching too much for next week, but what Bonhoeffer says, I just wanna give you a teaser, is that when you love your idea of community more than the actual community that God has placed you in, what, what, what always happens, always happens, and, I, and this has happened to me, by the way. I'm, I'm not standing above you, I'm with you here. I'm among you. What happens is eventually you become, I can't remember how he says it, you become an accuser of yourself, so maybe when you have an idea of community that doesn't match up with the actual community, you think, well, man, maybe something's broken in me. Well, yeah, something is broken, but you think like, maybe I'm not worthy. And then that leads to being an accuser of your brother. Man, if they would just get things right, if they would just believe the right things, if they would just do the right stuff, and ultimately where this leads to, what Bonhoeffer says, is you become an accuser of God. Man, you feel that drift, you feel that fade, where, where you just, resentment starts to harbor. Resentment starts to just kind of well in your heart. And you're, you're, you, become, you become down on yourself. You become down on those around you. And ultimately, you're an accuser of God. And you're like, man, God can't be loving. God can't be just. God can't be real. More on that next week. The third thing that they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what it says at the end of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayers. And so, hey, it's commonly agreed upon. I mean, there's a lot of conversation that could happen around this, but, but commonly and most, most consistently, it's agreed upon that the plainest way to understand what they were doing and what is meant by breaking bread is the Lord's Supper. They were, they were, they were um, as often as they were coming together, they shared the Lord's Supper together, but not just, you know, in, in prepackaged elements. They, they did this in most of the time in the context of a meal. They sat down together. They, they shared life. They fellowshiped together. They were, they were doing this over the context of a meal. Acts chapter 20, um, you don't have to turn there, but we kind of see where in the early church this kind of e evolved into. Um, Acts chapter 20 says, on the, uh, verse seven, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. You guys wanna be around until midnight today? We can eat. We can go get you some food, some slim chickens free on Sundays for kids. Um, 
Acts, 27, Acts chapter 20, verse seven, gives us a good reason to believe that what went along with the practice of gathering corporately is the people of God. So in this text today, Acts chapter two, it says that they came together at the temple and in their homes. And so they, they, they had two outlets of worship, two forms of, of, of where they were gathering. But Acts chapter 20, verse seven says, on the first day of the week, which we still practice today, we refer to Sunday as the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse seven gives us a good reason that what went along with the practice of gathering corporately on the first day of the week was the breaking of bread, when they had come together to break bread when they had come together to break bread. Again, this is most likely a reference to the Lord's Supper. They took the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 as indicative to who they were and to what they practiced. Hey, in their minds, Jesus was not establishing something, something, I can't read my notes here. Establishing something? I don't know. I think it's supposed to say cute. Jesus wasn't establishing something, something cute. Like he wasn't suggesting like what they should do. No, he was, he, was, he, he was establishing something that was supposed to be significant. I really wish I knew what that said. Jesus was telling something. We're gonna move on. They took the words of Jesus in Matthew 26 as saying I'm establishing something that needs to mark the people of God. It wasn't just something trite or insignificant. It was like, no, this is what we do. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about when they come together to take the Lord's Supper, that's not a chapter so much about like how to take the Lord's Supper, but there's a lot of things in that chapter that give us a lot of reason to believe uh, and, and that shape a lot of how we should understand the Lord's Supper. And so 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 states that Jesus commanded um, these people to do this. He said, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And indicates in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that it was done when they came together. And so if we're looking at this first century church, I, like I know we talk about Lord's Supper a lot and we do it every week, but here's why. Because personally, I believe, and, and we can have conversation about this, I believe that the habit that of, of many moving away from, from communion, of Lord's Supper as a practice that they do as often as they gather, this is, a, this is a modern cultural practice and not a practice that has been shaped by and steeped in the historical biblical practice and behavior of the church. I, like, like I think not doing this every time together is something that we have done and not something that our forefathers ever did or ever would have thought of, and certainly something the early church would have never done. And so why is this so important and why do I make such an ordeal about this? Hey, the point of this text is not the Lord's Supper, but it does give us a lot of good reasons. So why is this so important and why do I make such an ordeal about this? Well, mainly because I am a Baptist and modern Baptists have just really messed this up. They've been the ones that just messed this up in my opinion. No, that's not why. More so because the Lord's Supper, I believe, is intensely Christ-centered and gospel-focused. So, so what this does, what this tells us about these people is it draws upon their commitment to Jesus. We are going to keep Jesus front and center. We are going to keep Jesus ever before us. We're gonna hear the gospel preached and we're also gonna see it preached with the Lord's Supper. And so the early church's identity was their union with Christ. Again, union with his, in his death and his burial and his resurrection, union with him and being forgiven and accepted by God. And I believe that these practices, that this thing was intricately tied to their desire to keep the gospel ever before them. 
So some people, like I just said, some people call the, 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 the word being preached, the gospel preached to the ears, and some people, and they, and they call communion or Lord's Supper the gospel being preached to the eyes, that we see it, that we sense it, that we come empty-handed to the table, and, and, and we, we say, I come with nothing, yet I leave with everything. I leave with everything. And so we move on. It says they, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so this just confirms our observation from last week that these were a prayerful people. They were a prayerful people. They, they prayed. And so I can give you references to all of these, but hey, the people of God, they prayed in the Holy Spirit. Oh no, they prayed in the Holy Spirit. They prayed first before they did anything else. You know what they did? They prayed. Acts chapter one, we saw that last week when they're choosing a new, a new person to, to, to be an apostle. They, what do they do? They stop and they say, you, Lord, you know the hearts. You know the hearts of all men. They prayed. So they prayed in the Holy Spirit. They prayed first. They prayed earnestly and in faith. Man, we have a hard time praying in general. I have a hard time praying earnestly and in faith. I have a hard time with both of those. Like it's a miracle some days for me just to pray. But it's definitely a miracle some days for me to just believe that God can do what he'll do. And they prayed in worship. They, they, they responded in worship by, through prayer. They prayed, Acts chapter 13, verses one through three, kind of gives us a, a, a hint of this. In worship, they, they prayed and they responded to the Lord. And so prayer, I believe, through the book of Acts, seeing different times, prayer was both formal and it was free. It was formal. There were formal times of worship or formal times of prayer and there were free times of prayer. So should we pray sporadically or should we pray at scheduled times? Yes, we should pray at both. We should pray all the time, pray without ceasing. These people lived that. We need the Lord's help in this. I need the Lord's help in this. And then we look at what these things resulted in. What did these devotions result in, in these people. I love this. And so in verse 43, verse 47, it says, look at this. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so what did these devotions lead to? What did they result in? They resulted in worship. They resulted in, wor like these were a worshipful people. They were, they were not just going through the motions of church and Lord's Supper and prayer and all of these things. Look what it resulted in. Look what was the fruit of their, of their labor. It was worship. They flowed, all of these things that they're doing flowed from hearts of worship and they resulted in worship. None of them had too big of egos to be wowed by something, you know? Like, you know, what, you know what that's like? They, they just didn't have too big of an ego to be wowed and to be vulnerable and like lifting hands. And, you know, I'm not saying we, like, I'm not judging you for not doing, no one's judging you for not doing that here, I hope. But there was some posture within their heart that they didn't have too big of an ego just to be wowed by the majesty of God and the glory of Christ and what Jesus had accomplished in them. They, they worshiped and you could see it. None of them were so distracted. Not only did they not have too big of egos, but none of them were so distracted and preoccupied with things that prevented them from responding to grace with praise. Like, you know, you know that's what we do, right? Like when we, when we do take the Lord's Supper and we're singing, like that song is supposed to go hand in hand with, with our holding of these elements. Thank you, Jesus for doing what you've done. That's, that's worship. 
the next thing, verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so the next thing is they were devoted to unity and they were devoted to generosity. The early church was a unified church. What were they unified around? The gospel, their union with Jesus. They were a unified church, united to one another from their common union with Christ. And so what this also meant, what this led to, what their unity led to was that they were generous. They shared of their resources and their time. They, they, didn't count, they didn't count their lives as their own. They didn't count their resources as their own. They were generous. And, and hey, like I know when I preach this, it sometimes feels like I'm preaching at you. I'm really not trying to beat you up. Like this is something that I love about our people. Like I don't know if you have yet experienced, but if you're around here long enough, I promise you, you will experience the generosity of the people sitting around you. Like they, they just, they love well, they serve well. They, when they know of a need, hey, by the way, they can't guess. Well, here's what I'm not saying. They're not, they're not um, omniscient. They don't know everything. And so if you need something, oftentimes it's in community where we share what our needs are and where we find out what the needs of another are. And so if you're just hanging around, you're like, man, I could really use a million dollars right now. Like, you know, just don't talk to me about it. Talk to somebody else around you. Maybe they've got it. If, if, and by the way, if you've got it, welcome to Grace Harbor. Uh, we're <laughs> really glad that you're here. Um, and so they were generous. They shared their resources and their time. And so what this tells us is that a regenerate people are a generous people. A, reg- a saved people are a generous people. People who've been transformed by the riches of the gospel are a generous people people. And so to any around us who are in need, but as Galatians 6.10 says, especially those within the household of God, that we are to be generous to any around us who are in need, but especially to those who are in need. Guess what? They were a people that were committed to justice and mercy. They were people connected to justice and mercy. Hey, here's the deal. Like, I know the word justice makes some of us nervous, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna let culture and politics hijack that word. That's a Bible word. That's a gospel word. Justice is a, is a gospel word. And so, listen, I know that there's like all sorts of baggage with that word and feelings and opinions about this word. But hey, the prophet Micah says, this is what the Lord requires of us. This is what he wants us to do justice. And so we're not gonna, we're not gonna let culture, we're not gonna let society or politics tarnish our view of what God calls us to do, okay? We're not, gonna, we're not gonna let that happen. These were a people who were committed to mercy and justice because they were a gospel people. And so we may not be good at it, and there may be a whole lot we need to learn about this, but justice, again, isn't a political term before it's a gospel term. We ought to be about justice, okay? And so maybe you're like, okay, well, let's just Define what that means. That's a really great question. Hey, I love that question. I, was, I, was, I, was, I follow somebody this week who was, who was talking about engaging different, different ideas with the culture and basically just saying, hey, it's not, like, it's not our goal to, to like, get out ahead or on top of the conversation. Like, if somebody asks you about your position on something, you ask them. If, if they ask you why you're for something, you say, why are you not for it? Or if you're, and this was a, this was a I'll say, this is maybe the only time I'll ever use this word. This was a conservative voice saying this. It was a really good it was a really good thing. And so justice is something we should define. Justice is something that we should understand through the lens of the gospel and not through the lens of what the culture is trying to, to make us understand. But we ought to be a people about justice. 
And so next, verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were devoted to humility and gratitude. They were humble and they were grateful people. And then the last thing that, that we see that I just wanna draw on today, by the way, this, this passage, like a lot of others, could be drawn out over a course of three weeks, but, but the last thing that we see that I just wanna to, to land on is verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were deeply committed to the great commission. So, so, so what we wanna see here is they were evangelistic and fruitful. They were a fruitful people and they were an evangelistic people because they were deeply committed to the great commission. Faithful in both their proclamation and a particular way of life that transformed their world. They just lived in such a way that people did say what's going on, but they also proclaimed the gospel with their mouth, with their word. You know, you've heard that, that quote, share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Hey, the Bible says in order for the gospel to be heard, it must be proclaimed. So that's not a great quote. Don't use it, okay? Use words, but also let your life reflect what you believe. So they were faithful in both their proclamation and a particular way of life that transformed their world. I know for me, if I can just be honest before you, and maybe this will like lead to some, some I don't know, some movement within our church, but for me, evangelism is challenging. I mean, it's, it just, it, can we just admit that? Like, I'm not faithful to the Great Commission. The, the Great Commission says go. And it doesn't mean go to the overseas. It could, but most true, it means as you are going. And so it means... For me, um, I'm praying for a friend that I have met that works in a local restaurant that I frequent. Um, his name is Nathan. No, I'm not talking about myself. If, if you're like, oh, he's gonna share the gospel himself and say that he's a good evangelist. No, his, this dude's name is actually Nathan. Thomas and I were talking about him this week, but, but Nathan doesn't know Christ. He doesn't know Jesus. And so I told Thomas this week that I want to share the gospel with Nathan in August. So by the, by the end of this month, I, like I see Nathan two or three times a week when I go get my free coffee at Panera. Said, yeah, that's where he's at. Don't go find him. He's mine, okay? Um, <laughs> I told Thomas this week that, that I wanna share the gospel with Nathan in August and I wanna see Nathan trust Jesus as Lord. I wanna see him come to know Jesus as his savior. I wanna see Nathan walk into the doors of Grace Harbor and, and sense the kind of community that we have here. And so these were people that were committed. They were committed to evangelism and they were, they were fruitful. They were, their number was being added to. And so maybe there's someone in your life, maybe there's somebody in your life that needs to hear the gospel. Would you just pray for a boldness for them? Would you pray for a boldness like for yourself and, 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 and that they would receive what you have to say? They would receive, like, it's not a sales pitch. Like, we're not, we're not trying to, to sell something. We're, we're just, as, as we frequent places and as we regular places around town, like, are, are your eyes open to people who just don't know Christ? And I, I hope that, that, that that would be something that would be on our minds. And so as we summarize these things that marked the behaviors and the responses of the early church, it's right for us to look at our own ministry here, to look at what we do here as a people and evaluate where we are in our own strengths and weaknesses. It's, it's right for us to pray to the Spirit of God to strengthen us where we lack. 
Did you know that? If, if you hear all these things that we're talking about, like, well, we're good at that, but we're not good at that. Guess what? We can tell the Lord that. He knows. We can acknowledge that. We can say, Lord, would you strengthen us in this area? Would you strengthen our, our commitment to God's word? Would you strengthen us um, in our commitment to loving one another? Would you strengthen our, our, our uh, atmosphere of worship here? Like, Lord, would you just help me to not be distracted or, or allow me to humble myself and to just sing louder? Are we, are we someone who's committed, are we a church that's committed to, to showing mercy and seeking justice and being generous with our resources and our time? Hey, we can, we can pray to the Lord to strengthen us in these areas. Are we stronger in one of these and weaker in the other? That's okay. That's okay. But God is calling his people to be this kind of people. This is the kind of people that God wants us to be. These are the kind of people that God's people have always been. These are the kind of people that flipped the world upside down. It was these people. And hey, lest you think like, man, that sounds like a sweet spot. Like I need to go find a church that's doing that. Hey, you're where God wants you. We need your help here in these things. Next week, we're gonna look at where, hey, at some point, even these, this, the perfect, church, perfect First Baptist Church of Acts 2 um, went crazy in First Corinthians, Corinthians. And they were, bro- they were a broken people. They were, they were divided. They were, I mean, things eventually went crazy because it was just a room full of sinful people. So we're gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna talk about what a divided church looks like. And then next week, what a united church looks like. And so God is calling his people to be this kind of people. But let's not forget what we talked about last month. Ultimately, it would be a repentant people. Like, you know how we, you, you know how we kind of like acknowledge these places where, where we are weak? Guess what? Sometimes we need to repent. Sometimes we need to cry out to God and just say, Lord, strengthen me here. Or Lord, thank you for showing me something that I had never seen before. Like, you know that God is patient with us. And maybe you've heard something today that you're like, you know what, I've never thought of that. Aren't you grateful for God's patience that, that he brought you to this point to where you would learn that and he didn't, hadn't already zapped us? This is what kind of people God is calling us to be. And so we as a church wanna seek this together. This is the foundation of our community. This is the foundation of our fellowship and should be the foundation of our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you have called us and the way that you have formed us, um, the way that you are from the very beginning, Lord, from, from, the, from the opening pages of scripture, that you are calling and forming a people for yourself to show your glory in all the world. And so, Lord, we are humbled and we are, we are, we are just grateful, Lord, that you have allowed us to be the people that you have chosen to show your glory in the world. So Lord, may we be faithful. May we be a humble, repentant people. May we be a, a people that, that acknowledges our own shortcomings and, and sees that we are not sufficient for this task, that you are sufficient for this task, and that by your spirit and only by your spirit, we are equipped to do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, would you just help us lean into that? Would you help us understand that as a church, as as individuals and as a church? Father, we love you. And Lord, as we worship you, as we come to the table with empty hands, 
Lord, and walk away with, with, a, with a reminder of, of everything that we have been given in the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, may we, may we just worship you in response to that. We love you, and we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.